0: A few moments ago, as we sang together and praised God in our third song, we asked the gentle shepherd to come and feed us. Part of what we do when we worship God collectively, as He's asked us to, is to open His Word and feed from the Scriptures. The Word of God, the Bible, is the method that God has chosen to communicate with His people for Christ to feed His people, those of us who are His disciples. And so I solicit your attention as we do open God's Word and seek a better understanding of His will. This morning we're going to look at the process of rightly dividing God's will. A verse that we look at very often, 2 Timothy 2 verse 15 Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You will notice in our title we use the phrase rightly dividing God's will. The phrase in the Scripture is rightly dividing God's word. And it's intentional that we use those two terms because God's will is God's word. God's word is God's will. So if we want to... Look to God's will, we must open His Word. And we often use this verse to emphasize the importance of study. Daily study, looking at God's Word, hearing what He has to say to us, praying to God daily, speaking to Him, and how important that these are the foundational parts of our discipleship. How we stay viable in communication with our Father and with our Savior. Through the work of the Holy Spirit who penned the Word of God, we're taught that all Scripture is inspired and it's profitable for us to open it together. This morning we want to look to one section of this verse that we don't always emphasize, and that is the part about rightly dividing Once we accept the Word as the final revelation and ultimate authority for our lives, and we seek to study it, then we still have to rightly divide it if we're going to understand God's will. Out of the hundreds of times that we read this verse, we don't often stop to think about what it means to rightly divide. The definition of the Greek word Interpreted to the phrase rightly divide means to cut a straight course, to lay out a road, or to correctly interpret. You know, interpretation is a buzzword in religion today. I'm told by religious people, you look to God's Word, you study it, you consider it, you meditate on it, you set out a course to God, and He will be pleased. I will do the same I will go to God's Word, I will see what it speaks to me, and I will set out a course. And it may be a different course, but we're all on different roads going to the same place. That is the rhetoric of men, that is not the truth of God's Word. Here we find that we must rightly divide the Word of Truth. If there is a right way to divide the Word of Truth, then conversely, there is also an incorrect or erroneous way to look at God's Word. People have all different ideas about His Word. Some think it's just a good book with some good principles, but really doesn't apply in any kind of detail. Others have taken the Word of God, and they've placed this code on every word in Scripture, and they think if you have the right way to decipher that code, there's hidden messages in God's Word. You see, people take the Word, and they use it in all different ways. But there is a right way to divide God's Word, and there is an incorrect way to to interpret His Word. And we need to be aware of that and make sure that we're seeking the way. Christ said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said in John 8, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We need to understand that there is a singular truth that is contained in God's Word. There is a singular pathway that is marked In God's Word. It's illuminated for us, but we have to go to His Word and correctly divide it. We have to be consistent with the way that we handle God's Word, and that's a great challenge for every one of us. One very simple way that we have to divide God's Word is to divide the covenants. The whole Bible doesn't apply to us in specific commands, only a portion that that applies to the last age, the Christian age. If we're not careful to divide the covenant, we go back into the Old Testament and we read commandments and we see things that appeal to us, and so we make that a part of our obedience to God. The Old Bible is certainly a good thing to study and read because it is a schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. But if we're not able to rightly divide the covenants, then we are going to be very confused about God's will for us today. But there's a more important, even than that, I believe, way that we need to divide the covenant, or divide God's Word. And that is so that we can make the decisions of everyday life. When we go and study God's Word, it's not just to learn what it says, but it's to apply it to our lives in a way that's meaningful. In our everyday walk, when we come to a fork in the road, how are we going to make a decision which fork to take? We do it by going to God's Word and rightly dividing it. This morning, we want to think about this in regard to these two specific questions. Number one, how do we determine God's mandates versus issues of judgment? Do you realize that the Bible contains mandates that we have to follow? It also contains principles that we use to make judgments in our lives. How do we tell the difference? If we get those things confused, then we won't be able to navigate God's will in a proper way. The second question, how do we interact with those to whom we disagree? There's been a lot of discussion in the recent few months about the rhetoric that's going on in our society, the polarity that's there, the statements that are made that demonize others, that cause others to to feel less, and all of this is going on around us. And if we're not careful when we come to God's Word and disagreements about what it teaches, Then we're not handling our interaction with others in a proper way. We're going to look at a diagram this morning to be able to understand a consistent way to rightly divide God's Word. This is going to be a building and it's going to start with a foundation. Lyle taught us on Wednesday night about the importance of a foundation about how every building must be on a firm foundation if it's going to be solid, if it's going to withstand the test of time. And he talked about that in a spiritual sense, how that Christ is our foundation, He's the chief cornerstone, and we have to build on that foundation. And I believe as we open God's Word, we need to use a similar perspective. Everything in our life is guided by God's Word. It may be through principle, it may be through a legislated rule, it may be things that we have to study to learn all of our life to mature spiritually, but it's all in God's Word. We read in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect throughly furnished unto every good work. We are complete through God's Word. We don't have to go outside of His Word to men's ideas, to men's writings, to men's thoughts. The Bible says in Isaiah that God's ways are above our ways even the, as the heavens are above the earth. His thoughts are above our thoughts. We need to go to God's ways and His thoughts to direct our life, and we're given everything that we need in God's Word. In Matthew seven twenty-four to 27 we have this reading that is the allegory about a wise builder and a foolish builder. Christ said, He who builds on a rock or on a solid foundation is he who hears and obeys the Word of God. When the storms of life come and beat upon our lives, if we're building on that foundation, we will withstand the storm. He says the foolish builder is the one building on sand, and he hears God's Word, but he does not obey. The same storms of life come to both builders. One house stands because there is an obedience to God's will. It's built on that foundation. The other falls because... There is no obedience. Even though the foolish builder heard God's Word, he did not obey it. And so we need to think about the foundation when it comes to dividing God's Word and how it applies and how we're going to use it in our daily lives. We're going to look at a couple of rooms above that foundation. One is going to be on your left, and we've titled it God's legislated rules the other is going to be on the right and here we find general principles and on top of that we have liberties and judgment and this is where we have to begin to make a distinction between what God has mandated and what he has given us liberty to make choices based on the principles of God's word Every issue that comes into our life, no matter how trivial, no matter how important, if it's a decision that we need to make, we need to first determine, is it a matter of God's commandments, or is it a matter of principle ruling our judgment? As we look to the left side of the board, there are certain parameters that apply here. In Revelations 22, 18 and 19, we're told not to add to God's Word, and we're not to take away from it. If we add to it, He's going to add to us the plagues. We will not be blessed. If we take away from it, He's going to take away our part out of the book of life. So when we're talking about God's mandates, it's not up to us to add to or to take away. We can't change it. We have two choices on this side of our illustration. We either obey God's will or we disobey. We can't ride the fence. We can't change it. We can't adjust it. God has given it to us in an unchangeable fashion. We read in Hebrews 13, verses 8 and 9, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Be not carried about with divers, and strange doctrines. When it comes to what God has legislated, it applies everywhere, all over the globe, wherever the spot you might pick. And not only that, it applies in all times. It applied in the first century when it was first given. It applied in the fifth century, the fifteenth century, the twenty-first century, Today, and it will apply to the 50th century, if this world stands to that time. Christ is the same in these particular areas, in these areas of mandates. We talk often about how modern our world is. We don't live like they did back in the first century. We need to change the Bible up to fit us. Let's change up God to fit us, rather than changing ourselves to fit God's Word. And people will take the rulings that God has given, and they will try to adjust them based on that idea. The Bible does not teach that. These things should never be changed. 1 Timothy 4, verse 16, the Bible says, Take heed unto thyself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and him that hear thee. Them that hear thee. When it comes to what God has legislated for us, His commandments, they're in two basic categories. What happens in our everyday life and what we do religiously. And they are equally important. We can't just do away with daily proper living. We can't do away with our religious activities. They're both important. And God has legislated in both moral areas and in doctrinal areas. An example of a moral commandment. Do not commit adultery. That has been God's commandment from the beginning. It held through all the way through the Old Testament. It's now a part of the teaching for the church. We are not to commit adultery. That's a moral commandment that we've been given. It will never change. God will never embrace this sin. What about doctrinal teaching? Christ instituted the Lord's Supper. We have teaching in 1 Corinthians 11 about how it's to be used within the church. We have an example in Acts 20 and 7 where the church came together and broke bread. This is a doctrine that has been given through God's legislation, through His Word, and we're to obey it. That applies everywhere. That applies in any time from the time that the church was established until Christ comes again. There's methods that the Bible uses to communicate these commandments. Some of them are direct commandments. Some of them are examples that we look to. The direct commandment being the case with adultery. The example being the case with the Lord's Supper in Acts 20 and verse 7. So we look at these as God's rules and we seek to comply with them. There's also another category that is used in God's Word to teach His commandments and the things that He's legislated. We refer to it as positive, exclusive commands. I believe misunderstanding about this has caused more confusion in doctrine than any other thing when it comes to looking to God's Word and rightly dividing it. Let me give you an example. When... We are given the Lord's Supper. Christ used two elements with the Lord's Supper, the bread and the fruit of the vine. That's a positive, exclusive command. What do I mean by that? Well, we can't use cookies and Coke. We can't use fried chicken and milk. The Bible doesn't specifically say, do not use cookies and Coke. What it says is the positive command to use the bread and the fruit of the vine, and that excludes everything else. The Bible does not go into super detail about everything we're not to do. When God gives us a pattern, and that pattern is emphasized, it becomes a binding example. When He gives us a positive, exclusive command, and that's emphasized, then that excludes everything else. This is the way we properly divide God's Word, is go to it and use these methods to be able to come to a clear understanding. Let me give you an example of chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Do you know that God is very, very particular about his worship? He seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. In this age, they had a different system of worship. They had a tabernacle, and part of what happened in the tabernacle was the burning of incense. And they were commanded to use the fire that was there in the courtyard of the tabernacle. There were not commandments in the Old Testament, don't use this other fire, or that fire, or that fire. God said, use this one. And when He said that, that excluded the use of any other fire. Nadab and Abihu adjusted what God had said and they paid with the penalty of death. This is what we have to understand about the communication of God's Word just because we're we're not told or given a commandment we can't do it doesn't give us the authority to do it. We see this illustrated when people want to add to the worship of God and they say, well, show me in the Bible where it says I can't do that. Well, there's not a commandment against everything that might be brought into worship. There are positive commandments and examples and patterns that are given in God's Word, and we follow those. There can be positive or negative commandments. There can be binding or non-binding examples. We have to look to God's Word. Look at all the information. Leave it in its context. Look closely to be able to determine what is an incidental part of what the the Bible tells us and what is a binding example of something that they did that is recorded in God's Word. These things do not come by merely surface reading God's Word. We have to go to it and meditate and study As the Bereans, we must hear God's Word, but then we must take it and prove that what we're being taught is found in the Word. When we do that, we will be able to properly understand God's legislated rules. Let's look on the other side of the board now, to the right side with liberties, where we're told to take judgment based on general principles. We said on the left side, if people are doing two different things, either they're both wrong or one of them's wrong. We only can accept either and obey or we decline and we disobey. But here, as we begin to look where God has legislated liberties, people can make different choices and they can both be right. If there were no need for any areas of judgment, if everything in the Scripture was black and white, then there wouldn't be a need for people to use principles to make guiding judgments. But in fact, there are areas where we're called on to make judgments. There's three different basic places that we have areas of judgment. First would be personal judgment. There are some things that we decide as an individual when it comes to how we're going to serve God. The decisions that we're going to make in our life to honor God. In Philippians 2 verse 12, the Bible says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Does that mean we go over here to God's legislated rules and we pick and choose whatever we want? We work out our salvation that way. That's not what that's talking about. That's talking about... Over here, everything is not spelled out in black and white in God's Word. We have to use the principles there and make honorable judgments in a lot of areas. And some of these are on a personal basis. Some of them are on a family basis. Anytime there's more than one person involved and something comes under judgment, there's going to be differences of opinion. Because of that, God has set up a structure for someone to make the final decision, to maintain peace in judgment areas in these environments. Brother Brian talked to us last Sunday morning about biblical marriage, and he talked about how that God set a pattern in place for the men or the husband, the father to play a certain role, for for the women, wives, and mothers to play a different role. God designated the husband to be the spiritual leader of the home. And He's called on to make those final decisions. I remind you of these verses that we looked at last week. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ... So let your wives be to their own husbands in everything. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Now this doesn't mean that the husband makes choices that he wants. It's always about his preference. But he looks at everyone's situation and he makes the best choice for the family. What about the church? A similar structure is in place. God has designated elders to lead the church, to to feed the flock, to make the judgment calls that need to be made. I want to ask you, do elders make judgment calls about these things? What judgment is there to be made? We either obey or we disobey. We're not changing what God has legislated. Fathers in their home and elders in the church are only making judgment areas judgments in areas that God has legislated those liberties. Elders decide what time we have church. They decide where we're going to build a church building. They decide a lot of these logistical things that need to be uh, fitted to the community that they're existing in. They use their wisdom to make the best choices to develop the right environment for the church. Everyone can't have their... Preference. Everyone can't have their desires. So someone is put in place to do that. Hebrews 13 verse 17, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. I will tell you this morning that fathers will give an account to God for the decisions that they make. Elders will give an account according to this verse for the decisions that they make for the church. But also families will give an account for how they follow the leadership of the father or the husband. The members of the church will give an account according to how they have followed the oversight and the leadership that is provided for the elders. God put these things in place because He's given us certain areas where we use judgment. Here's some matters of judgment. Tradition. We all have some traditions, personal traditions, family traditions, church traditions. These can be good or bad. If they are congruent with the Word of God, then they're good. But sometimes traditions need to be changed. Because the environment change or the element changes. God wants us to take His principles and He wants us to put proper things in place. We may need a tradition. We may need to change a tradition. All of these things are subject to the final authority of God's Word. What about preference? Preference is another thing that everyone has. And kept in the proper place, it's fine. But our personal preferences, our family preferences, maybe even our church preferences have to be subject to God's Word. We don't always get our own way. We don't always plan things according to just us. A few weeks ago, we talked about self and how important it is to have the right attitude about self. We talked about self-righteousness. We talked about self-will. We talked about being self-centered and how these things battle our ability to to be true disciples. And when it comes to taking God's Word and dividing it and properly handling it to make decisions in our life, these perspectives on self make all the difference. We either are humble and we're willing to deny self to take up the cross and follow Christ, or we're self-righteous. We take our judgments, and we think that they're the best, and they have to apply everywhere. Or we are self-willed, and whatever we want, we feel like we have to have. That's not the teaching of God's Word. We are to comply with, with the principles, we're to comply with the systems and structures of authority that God has put in place. And that applies even further than what we've studied this morning. Into other, the laws of the land, the, the authorities that rule in various ways, we are to comply with those in the right way. The bottom line, we're to emulate Jesus Christ in all that we do. There's another important part of this illustration, and it's right here in the middle. I've got it labeled an impassable wall. Because you'll see there's door openings into these two areas. We make a decision on an issue. Is it going to be over here, or is it going to be over here? And then when we enter those different sides of this structure, we may move back and forth. In other words, one of God's legislated rules may be by commandment, and by example, both. And when that's the case, it's even stronger of what we need to do. Maybe some of our judgment issues over here may be personal or family, part preference, part tradition. So we move about in in those different ways, and we apply the rules and the perimeters that God has given us. But we cannot take God's legislated rules and make them matters of judgment. When we do that, we're not being consistent with God's Word, and we're going to break His will. We're not going to comply with His will in that case. Neither can we take things that are judgments and make them into law. Both of those things are incorrect. And we have to understand how to distinguish between mandates and judgments. And I believe that this is a good way for us to illustrate that and how we do it. Because when we make these mistakes and start moving back and forth, then that's where we create problems. We create friction. We create unrest with those to whom we interact. I want to read Romans 14 verses 1 through 6 because I believe this lays some groundwork that's very important in the discussion that we are talking about. One of our questions is how do we determine between those things that are mandated and those things that are judgment? The second question is how do we interact with people that we disagree with? I think in summary we could say that we always act humbly in meekness when we interact with those that we disagree with, but there's a great difference in how we end up standing on a principle where God has mandated it, and how we allow other people their judgment when it is an issue of judgment. So let's read these verses together. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. A good synonym for that would be doubtful thoughts. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God receiveth him, God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand." One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not to the Lord he eateth not and giveth God thanks. This is a chapter that has been misunderstood and misapplied many, many times by God's people because they're looking to apply this in areas where it does not apply and maybe they ignore it in areas where it does apply. If you're not familiar with the teachings of Romans 14, I would encourage you to go back and study all the way through the chapter, through chapter 15 and verse number 7. Paul gives regulations for working out a conflict between a stronger and weaker brother. The stronger brother chose to take a liberty that God has allowed, whereas the weaker brother chose to restrict himself in that same area. Eating of meats, the observance of days, and things of like category are authorized liberties. Whether we eat meat or not is neutral to God. It's not a moral, legislated rule. It's not a doctrinally, legislated rule. It was in the Old Testament, what they ate, what they didn't eat. Under the Mosaical Law, but under the Christian Age, we're to receive all things as long as we give thanksgiving to God for those. Here's people who had a conscience about these practices. One believed they could, one believed they couldn't. Another area that's brought up about in this same category is that of circumcision. We find this recorded in 1 Corinthians 7, 18 and 19. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. See how he says circumcision does not matter whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised is not an issue with God but it can be an issue between people. How are we to work out these issues? Well, Romans 14 beautifully sets forth the perimeters about how we deal with people who have differences of opinion in judgment matters. And I will tell you today that Romans 14 strictly applies on the right side of the board. That's where it applies. It doesn't apply with things where God has legislated rules. He's not dealing with things that are sinful. He's dealing with differences of judgments. And we have to make that distinction. What happens if we do not com- understand the difference here? Let's take an example. This one is a lifestyle that's very common in our society today. Homosexuality. There's scriptures that teach very distinctly that this is wrong. One of these is found in Romans 1 verse 26 and 27. There's no mistaking what this passage says. It comes down to the end and it says that people who are in this state are in error. So where do we put this? This is a issue. How are we going to to decide what, what, how this applies. I believe it's very clear that it is a commandment of God. It's a moral commandment. It's a negative commandment. Do not practice this lifestyle. Well, that's good, but you know, people come to us and they say, that's old-timey Bible knowledge or teaching that really doesn't apply in our enlightened society It's been thousands of years since that was written down. We need to make this a matter of judgment. We need to use Romans 14. We need to accept the weaker brother. People are born this way. The genetics are there and they don't have a choice. You see, all of these arguments are trying to take something that God has legislated and make it a matter of judgment. People who take Romans 14 and try to dilute God's commandments are misapplying His Word. Romans 14 is not the only passage that people try to do that with. Judge not that you be not judged. How many times have you talked to somebody about a sinful practice, and they say, you have no right to judge me. Christ said, don't be judged. Well, they're taking a verse out of context that applies to a judgment area. It applies to people who are using hypocritical, critical judgment, not the true judgment that's given in God's Word. It's like Romans 14. We're not to be overly critical of people regardless, but we're especially not to criticize those who differ with us in matters of judgment. That's how that verse applies. It doesn't apply here in the rules that God has legislated for us. Here's some more of Romans 14, verse 10, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 13, Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. People will use these verses, and they'll try to justify living a sinful lifestyle. And they'll say, you have no right to judge me. But they're misapplying. They're moving things that God has legislated to areas of judgment. Here's the reality of the verses and the principles in God's Word that apply to sinful activity. Matthew 7, verse 16, right after Jesus condemned critical, hypocritical judgment... He comes and he says, You shall know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Verse 20, Whereby their fruits you shall know them. The reality is, we are called on to make judgments when it comes to sinful practices. We are to deal with that in a way that we stand fast, that we do not give up what the truth is. You know, Christ said, I came not to bring priests, but to make people enemies. The foes of your own household will be your enemies. What is He talking about? His disciples, on the things that have been legislated, will stand fast. Regardless of the pressures, we're not going to give in. We're going to judge righteous judgment, which is another statement of Christ from John 7 verse 24. We have to put these verses where they apply and rightly divide God's Word and handle it correctly or you see how we make these mistakes. Here's another one. Matthew 18, 15 through 7. We're given a commandment. If we've been offended, if someone sinned against us, do we just tolerate that and let them have their judgment in that? That's not what Christ said. He gave us a method to take care of that problem. And even if it takes bringing it to the whole church, we're to follow through when it is involving things that are sinful. What about the congregation? 1 Corinthians 5, verse 3, I verily am absent in body, but present in spirit have judged already, as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. Are we to ignore and tolerate and let everyone have whatever judgment it is, these people were commanded to take action against sinful activity within the congregation. Paul said he wasn't even there, and he had already made a judgment. It's not wrong for us to evaluate and judge fruit, and take a stand for those things that are true. In fact, verse 5 says, "...to deliver such a one to Satan..." for the destruction of the flesh, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. These are the verses that apply when there is sin involved. This, these are the verses that, are, that dictate how we deal with one another. Never haughty or high-minded or self-righteous, but we go to people and we make appeals to them. Here in Galatians 6 verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Here's a doctrinal teaching of God's Word. Women keep silence in the churches. Very straightforward commandment. It's a commandment for women not to speak. People will come and say, well, our society is against women. We need to change that. That's an old fogey. That was a uh, Paul who was against women, a male chauvinist. That was in one place for one time. People use all of those arguments, but the reality is we cannot move that from a matter of practice, of doctrine that God has commanded into a matter of judgment. What about on the other side of the board? What if we take a judgment and make a law out of it? First Timothy 4, 1-3, Now if the Spirit speaketh expressly, then in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Do you see this? Are these contradictions? Is Romans 14 saying one thing and first Timothy 4 something else? One says allow that person his judgment and his conscience And here we're talking about doctrines of devils. What's the difference? In 1 Timothy 4, they were making a law out of this. They weren't just making a judgment for themselves or for their family. They were forbidding everyone to eat of meats. And the Bible says that was a doctrine of devils. How do we fall into the same category today? Whether it be a personal thing, or whether it be a church tradition or item religiously? You know, the Pharisees were famous for making their traditions more important than God's Word. They did it over and over again. Here's one instance. They made the washing of hands a tradition more important than the commandment of God. Was that the right thing to do? Jesus condemned them... For following the traditions and doctrines of men, verse 9, he said, In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. They were making their commandments God's commandments. And this created a lot of problems. And Jesus very aggressively addressed this problem. So how do we handle interaction with those in our own lives today? Well, if it's a sinful doctrinal issue, we read it, Galatians 6, verse 1. We're to go to that person in meekness, and we're to make the appeal for the truth. If there's rebellion involved, then we take further steps. That's what the Bible teaches us. If it's a matter of judgment, we do not go aggressively with that. We allow others their judgment. In our discussion of using the social media for a platform, People have taken judgment issues, whether that be a health issue about immunization or a diet issue about what we're going to eat, fat or sugar or something else, or whether that be an education issue about how we're going to educate our kids, homeschool or private school or public school. People have taken issues that are important that we need to make judgments about but they have began to make laws and they get on social media and they act in disgust toward others that have a differing opinion. Is that following the basis of what Scripture teaches us to do? We are to make judgment for ourselves and in some cases for our families in these areas, but we're not to try to make judgments for everyone else. And social media has given us a platform. You can go to the Internet about whatever agenda you might have and run a search, and you can find all of those people that agree with what you agree with. They're going to jump on the bandwagon with you, and they're going to put everyone else down, and people are not looking at both sides of any issue. They're just looking at what they want to And that emboldens them then to get on other platforms and have a social media stream that's very aggressive, that demonizes people, that makes them less Christians for other choices that they make. When we do that, we're not properly handling ourselves according to how the Word teaches us that we should. And we need to look at that closely and make sure that we're following Christ that we're not putting some agenda with politics or with any of these other issues of judgment, that we're making them more important than our relationship with other people that might bring them to Christ. We are members of a heavenly kingdom, our goal and our mission, and the only thing we should be all in for is Jesus Christ and Him crucified and bringing people to Christ. Are we acting in ways, in judgment areas that dilute our message, that we're sending out to people about what's important, what our emphasis is? Again, we need to look at these matters very closely and make the right kind of judgments. If we're going to get on a bandwagon, if we're going to be a crusader about something, why don't we make it something about Jesus Christ? He's important. He's our King. He's the one that we are supposed to be advocating for and showing a light for in our lives. A formula for rightly dividing God's will. Set aside preconceived ideas. Look at all the information. Put it in context. Use the Bible to define and explain itself and apply the proper system of interpretation. We can't just jump from place to place in the Bible, find a phrase or a sentence that may agree with what we already believe, and go with that. We have to handle God's Word correctly. And I hope that this has been apparent as we've looked at these issues this morning. We want to offer an invitation at this time. If there's someone here that has never named the name of Christ, you understand what it means to obey the gospel, and you would like to do that today, we would encourage you to make your move this morning. We're going to sing a song of invitation in just a moment, and we'd ask you to step out and come forward and be seated on the front, and we will help you with that. If there's someone here who would like the prayers of the church for one reason or another, we would again like to encourage you to do that, and we'd help you with that. Come forward and be seated on the front as we stand and sing the song of invitation.